I'm going to do something entirely different today. I'm going to do something today that I wouldn't do on a Sunday morning. I have never done this on a Sunday morning. What I'm going to show you today, I would have done on a Sunday night. I would have done on a Wednesday night. I would have done in Sunday school. Uh, there, there was a time in our church for several years, few, quite a few years, I, I, well, at one point we had four service, Sunday morning services. We had three Sunday morning and one Saturday night. But I would you know, normally preach two service Sunday morning, Sunday school in the middle, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I stayed pretty busy. So, uh, but this exercise we're going to do today is, is again, it's not an exercise that I would normally do on a Sunday morning in a church because you want to hear a message. But what I'm going to give you is going to give you a message every day of your life if you take heart to it. And if you decide to let yourself be challenged to do this, do it once in a while, if not every day. But I'm going to show you something today that I think will help you get a better grasp upon the word that you're reading. So that when you sit down and read a chapter, you can kind of just sit there and look up and say, now, Lord, Huh, what did you just say to me? <laughs> and uh, because there's reading the Bible and uh, there's what I call reading study in the Bible. I, I'm a study reader of the Bible, not a reader. I study the Bible as I read it and I'm a note taker. Uh, I have Bibles that, uh, this Bible has notes in it and the columns and the spaces, you know. Uh, of course, then my books at home, you know, notebooks and things like that. I, I like to take notes. I like to write things down because I, I know that uh, one of the things my dad would say to me, he'd say, son, every time I read the Bible, I read the chapter, but I can't remember what I read. And then I said, well, dad, that's why we constantly read the Bible so that eventually we do remember it. And he was. He and my mom were Bible readers. All as I can always remember, they were Bible readers. Growing up in our home, my mom, when my dad was working nights, she would take over the devotions. We would sit on the floor near the register, floor register to stay warm in the winter and wherever it was to stay cool in the, in the summer. But we'd always sit on the floor, my sister, my mother and I, and or my dad, if he wasn't working. And she'd open the Bible, lay in her lap and teach us the word. I learned memory verses from my mother. I learned it from scripture from my mother. And then I learned scripture from Sunday school. Then I learned scripture from youth. Then I learned scripture as a young adult. Then I learned scripture as an adult. Guess what? Say it. I'm still learning scripture as an adult. Uh, I'm 73 years old and I'm still learning scripture. And, and so I'm going to show you next time. We're going to do it together. And I thank you for allowing me to do something a little different today than what would be the normal message you might expect to hear uh, from the pulpit. So uh, before we do that, I want to read a few scripture. And I don't think it's going to take too long to go through this exercise. But uh, again, we'll definitely be out by one. I'm joking, I'm joking. Here we go, Psalms 19. Write these verses down on the piece of paper I gave you, maybe at the top, across the top of that sheet I gave you. And uh, Psalms 19, 7 through 14. I'm going to go ahead and, and read this. But Psalms 19, 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect. Listen to this phrase, refreshing the soul. Boy, if that is not an internal spiritual healing thing. This is a really beautiful phrase in scripture. Re the word of God refreshes the soul. That one book that we, I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking in general. The one book that we neglect the most during the week. 
is that one thing that would refresh our soul and spirit if we would just take time to read it and study it and get it into our brain, into our heart, our system. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Have you ever had a burden so heavy that you can't see straight, yet the joy of the Lord is your strength? You go about smiling and praising the Lord in joy, yet there's that heaviness? Because the burdens that the Lord is in our heart, a lot of times they're burdens that God gives us to be praying about and caring about, yet he keeps us joyful in him. I bet you when you guys got together, I apologize, man, I totally forgot. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm old, and... I can even write a date down and forget to look in the calendar to find out if there's anything on that day. Isn't that ridiculous? So uh, I do apologize, gentlemen, because I would have liked to have been here with you uh, for that evening of fellowship. But I bet you all had a lot of joy around that table, a lot of good expression, a lot of, yet you've got hearts that are heavy with things, yet you had the joy at the same time. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is a powerful passion, or a portion of Scripture, folks. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart, what words? His word. What meditation? His meditation of his, of his word be pleasing in your sight. In other words, may these words of my mouth, it's your words he's referring to, it's what we meditate on, but if we read in his word, then we can let his words be that which we meditate on. You follow my thinking. It is our words. It is our meditation. But if I'm in his word, then my words can be the words that he's placed there. That which I think about can be that which he's placed there because I spent time in his word. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, if you would take a moment and write some more scriptures across the top of that page, okay? Like I did, I wrote them across the top of the page. Write these passages of Scripture down. Psalms 119, the whole chapter. That's uh, one through 176 verses. And uh, Psalms 119 is, 100, is 176 verses. And I have found that over 100 times, I think it's 111 times, I believe, is what I found, but it is over a hundred times that the word is implied in that one chapter. A hundred, over a hundred times between oracles, statutes, commands, decrees, the word. Uh, these five, six, seven descriptions of the Bible, over a hundred times in this one chapter, it is mentioned. I have called Psalms 119 the Bible within the Bible. <laughs> it's like having a Bible within the Bible. And I'll tell you what, it is one powerful chapter to read. 
Uh, every time I read it, I, I read it in one setting. I don't break it down. I get it all read in one setting. It's so beautiful. I just, it, I just have to read the whole chapter at one time. And uh, read it. Take time. You don't have to read it all in one day. It's like every 10 to 12 verses, there's a new section. So you can just go, you take it one at a time. Write this down. Very familiar to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And then write down Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. That is, these, these two verses are deep. It, it says in, in essence that the word of God it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides asunder the spirit and the soul. It just gets deep into our being. Hebrews 4, 13, 12, and 13. Then one more, and oh, there could be many more, but one more. 2 Peter chapter, uh, let me double check the chapter. 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe. Uh, Uh, yes, chapter one. It is chapter one. Let me fix that. I didn't even have to. There you go. I forgot to put the chapter in. Second Peter chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Verses nineteen through twenty-one. Second Peter chapter one, verses nineteen through thirty-one to twenty-one. Nineteen through twenty-one. Now, um, what I want to do is, in hindsight, I want to go back, and I, I want to read. Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Let me read these two verses for you because I just, they're just so powerful. I, I, I know you may be familiar with them, uh, but I have a thought to say after reading this. For the word of God is alive and active. Now, imagine picking up this Bible in Africa. Picking up this Bible in Europe. Picking up this Bible in Canada. Imagine picking up this Bible in 17... Hundreds. Imagine picking up this Bible in 1850. Imagine picking up this Bible in 2023. Imagine picking up this Bible, should the Lord tarry, in uh, 3035. It's going to say the same thing. That means at the point you picked up this Bible and never read this verse, it was real for you at that point. That's the beauty of the word. It is alive and active. That means from the day it was put together until Jesus comes, it's going to always be alive. It's going to always be current. Sharper than in two-edged double sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Do you, did you ever wonder where conviction came from? Where do you think it came from? It came from God's word not just his spirit. It came from God's word because it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So if you got a little prick in your heart or a little tap on the shoulder from God said, uh, hello, was that a good thing to think? Was that a good thing to watch? Was that a good thing to say? Was that an appropriate thing to read? Was that the right way to feel about that person? Where do you think that comes from? It comes from the knowledge of the word that we have in our spirit. And the spirit speaks that word to us.
nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Did you ever say, did you ever find yourself, and there's a lesson in all this right now, but did you ever find yourself in, in a uh, conversation with somebody and you wanted to say something, but you was afraid that if you said it, the Lord would you know, not like it? Well, you're a little bit late because he already knew what your thought was. So whether you said or didn't say, he already knew the thought, so he's already either tapping his shoulder, or you might as well go ahead and say it because he knows it anyways and hope that it goes over, Ralph. Hope it goes over the way you want to go over because he already knows your thoughts. Not just before you say it, or after you say it, but before you say it. Everything, say everything. Everything is uncovered. That's why it's so funny to think, well, honey, I want to tell you something, but I don't want to get in trouble with the Lord. And she would be right to say, well, I'm going to say it because you're already in trouble with the Lord. He knows what you're thinking. If it's going to be in trouble with the Lord, it's cute. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So uh, let's, let's sum it up this way about God's word. The Bible was written for more, ladies and gentlemen, it was written for more than just uh, having a knowledge of the history of God and his creation and the early workings of the people that he was over and over, over time. The Old Testament, New Testament, up to today. It's more than that. It's more than just learning about God more. It's more than that. The Bible is also for what it does on the inside of us. The transformation that can come to us in here. And that's why the Hebrews passage is so very, very very important. In fact, a lot of the scriptures I gave you were scriptures, as was Psalms 19, of all the things that the word is doing in here, in here, in here. That's why we have to read it. That's why we have to study it. Uh, and don't be a speed reader because speed reading the Bible, you're not going to get it. We're going to miss tremendous nuggets of, of if we're a speed reader. That's why I call myself a study reader. In fact, I've, I remember one year I read 50 books. In that year, three of them were theology books. And I always read a lot of books during the year. That was the most I read in a year. I had a busy schedule. And, uh, but in, in reading, I did what I call study read. And uh, I could sit down and read a, a typical average book, 125, 150 pages in a day. Could have done that. And, but I like to study read. I like to take notes. I like to absorb what I'm reading. So. Uh, but my goal was to read so many books a year, but I can go back to those books, and, and I've got a, the Lord has blessed me with the ability to actually open up a book and know where to turn to because I underlined things or wrote something, and I know where I wrote it, so I have it in my member bank. I can start flipping the pages and find it in no time. Same with the Bible. The more you read the Bible, the more you're going to know where it is. My wife's all the time asking me, hon, where's so-and-so in the Bible? And I tell her. Almost every time she's ever asked me, it's a lot of times, I've almost, I, almost every time I knew it right away. And if I didn't, I just Googled real quick, or I spoke to the thing on the Google, and she'd give me Psalms uh, 316, and 
bing, there it is. So I have Google to help me, but, if I, but most of the time I don't need Google. Why? Years of reading the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, it becomes our, our source of strength and enablement inside. Okay? So we're going to dissect the chapter today. And thank you for allowing me a different type of approach today. And uh, so let's, you have on your piece of paper, and by the way, I had the, my, past, my, my son's uh, personal assistant help me with this. Uh, I, I really wanted this whole page to be this chart. I didn't want those lines around that block. I wanted to have the lines go straight down the page so you have more room to write. So I'm just letting you know that, technically speaking, I gave you two sheets today, so if you do need to do a part two, you just put at the top of the page, continue, chapter four of Matthew, and then you just keep going down the chart. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I don't know how small you, you write, but we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 4. So go ahead and put down Matthew chapter 4 and today's date, uh, which is, uh, is it the 11th today or 12th? 12th. Okay. All right. Just double check on that. All right. So uh, 12th. I put down 11th because I did this, uh, finished this last yesterday uh, afternoon. So here we go. Matthew chapter 4, today's date. We're going to do is we're going to read the first four verses. So where it says verses right underneath there, write down one through four. All right, write down one through four. So underneath verses and make it near the top because we're going to be drawing a line across that whole section in a minute. All right, so I'm going to read verses one through four and then we're going to come up with a title. We're going to come up, who are the characters? What is the subject matter? Are there any commands given in those first four verses? And what can I apply to my life? And this is where we're going to have a lot of fun enjoying specific things that we can apply in our life today. You see, the Bible was written years ago. It applied then. And we have to interpret it from then into today. We want to interpret properly from then into today. You don't take an application and it becomes the interpretation. You cut an application from the interpretation. So what we're going to do is make an application. And, and, and by the way, if you ever want to do a hermeneutic study on how do I learn to break the Bible down, just let me know. I, I can also uh, hook you up with that. So here we go. Verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read them. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Please note that. He was hungry. He, he had, while he was God, who didn't need food, he was here in human form, so he had the human tendency, the human natural desires. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, coming from my mouth today are words. Those words can't help you, might aid you, might assist you in some things, but those words can't change your life unless the words I'm giving you are the words of God. So keep that in mind when you're listening to people, when they're telling you things, how you should this, or you should that. Make sure that the word is built into their phrases. Make sure the word of God is backing up what they're saying. Because we, he said, I will live by the mouth of the words of God. 
That's what we live by. Not because somebody said that, but because what they said maybe was good from the Bible. But if it's not from the Bible, then you just have to weigh that carefully. And everyone said, because if you don't, we'll get confused. So I made a simple title because uh, instead of calling it Jesus Test in the Desert, because it's, that's the whole chapter, I, chap I titled this Jesus' First Test. So right underneath title, write Jesus' First Test. Write that right there and that right below that word, the line there, title. Now, who are the characters in these first four verses? There's two characters. Jesus and Satan. So write that in. These are the characters. You say, well, what is, what's the importance of that? Well, it has a lot to do because when you're wanting to remember and you want to quote somebody that said something, you want to have the right person that quoted it, said it, or who was involved, who was he talking to. You want that information. So, it's Christ and Satan. Now, you get to write down what you want to be the subject matter. I, that, I don't have to give you what I wrote. I'm going to tell you what I wrote. But I want you to take a moment now and just quickly, once again, take a look at that. That's not many verses. And tell me what would be the, the and sometimes the title can be close to the subject matter, but there, a title is what you want to title something. But what are you titling? Okay, I'm titling the subject matter of. So what is the subject matter here? What would you might want to write down? Take a moment to write that down. I'm not going to tell you what it is because there is no one answer any more right than another. Unless it's so out there that you can't even understand. I don't, nobody's going to do that. So here, here's what I wrote. And you may have something far more impacting on you. Don't worry if you like what I wrote or not. You worry that you like what you wrote. That's the beauty of this exercise. Because God speaks different things to us. We get different applications. That's the beauty of God's word. As long as I've got the right interpretation, it's okay to have good applications to that interpretation. Right, folks? So you can apply it any way you want. I wrote down the importance of God's word. I made it very simple. You may have gotten something entirely different. You may have wrote down, the sudden matter is, Jesus put Satan in this place. You may have wrote, that would have been great. You, whatever you wrote down is good for you. It's good for you. Were there any commands given? I, I didn't notice any direct commands. You've got to be careful that your commands aren't your applications. A command is something that Jesus says to do. I didn't see that. We can derive, well, it, it, command could be that he says that what's more important is the words out of God's mouth. Well, no, because he didn't say that's what we should do. That's what he did. I didn't notice any commands. Did anybody notice command? I may have missed it. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I may have missed it. I didn't notice a command. So here's the fun part. What application can we write down? So take a moment, reflect on this. And what is a good application for you? Because remember, there can be, I can give you one scripture verse and tell you to give me an application and there's 36, 34 or 36 of us here today. And you know what? You, you could give me 34 different applications. It would be okay. As long as it 
applies to the scripture before us. So here's what I wrote. I wrote, in a weak moment, Christ is standing on God's word. In a weak moment. Weak spiritually? He wasn't weak spiritually. He was God. Remember he was hungry? How do you act when you're hungry? How do you feel when you're hungry? And I tell you something, when he said he was hungry, he's, and he's probably thirsty too. You know, remember the woman at the well? He was hungry, he was thirsty, and he was tired, all three. Hungry, thirsty, and tired. The woman at the well. Why is that important to me as a, as a person? A weak moment Christ is standing in God's word. Because in times of weakness, Christians sometimes, they slip. Sometimes they go backwards. Sometimes they don't make the best decisions. Sometimes they give in. Sometimes they worry too much. They get scared too much. They get defeated and dis- disgruntled and all kinds of things. But in this case, he stood on, his, on God's word. In a time of temptation, in a time of weakness. He was weak from hunger. There he is. All right? I hope you got a little bit of a taste of that. So let's do this. Let's go to verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written. So this was verses 5 through 7. Jesus answered him, it is also written. I love it, folks. It is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I titled this Jesus' second. Oh, by the way, draw a line. Watch me. I want you to look at me. The column that goes down the furthest that you wrote, let's say you wrote down a long application. At the bottom of that column, you'd go straight across the page. Go straight across the page. So there might be a big gap between the first two or three, but maybe your application, you wrote longer, then the line goes here, but it goes all the way across the page because it keeps it continuity. It keeps it, you see how I got mine? It keeps it with continuity. You don't have lines going up and down the page and you get confused what application is for what section. Straight across. So you draw that line straight across and verses five through seven. So simple. Title, Jesus' second test. Simple title. This was Jesus' second test. In fact, that's a good way to remember these in case you want to remember what test said what. The characters were Christ, Satan, and this time, who else? Who? Angels. Angels were mentioned. They're a being. They're a character. Now, the subject matter is only because of time I'm doing this. I wrote down, I want you to write down what you think you should write down, is using the, having the right use of Scripture. That's what this is about to me. Having the right use of Scripture. I love when he said, because when somebody comes to you and they say to you, well, Jesus does that, I guarantee you. And you say, but his word also says. Do you know why this is important? Because we're learning how to give context to God's whole word. We've got to be careful that we, because, see, Satan was quoting scripture. 
There's nothing wrong with the scripture he quoted, but it didn't apply. A lot of people come to us with scripture and they're quoting it to us, but it doesn't apply to what they're talking about. Because there's another scripture in the Bible that counteracts that, that broadens that. That's why it's important to understand scripture. Because somebody can say, you know, uh, listen, I could teach you one side of the scripture to now to Jesus comes and that's the only side you'll believe. But my job is to preach the whole counsel of God. Did you know that pastor will tell you when we sign off for our credentials every year, we actually had to sign a agreement with the sons of God. Every year we had to sign. Do you, will you continue to preach the whole counsel of God? I remember having to sign off on that to get our credentials. I couldn't carry credentials unless I agreed to preach the whole gospel. So that means you got to preach both sides of the subject, folks. You may only want to believe one side. That's up to you. But my job is to preach both sides of Scripture, every part of it, all sides. Upside, inside, downside, out, beside, beside. You've got to teach the whole counsel of God because it helps to balance the word. So we're not off in Lululand. Using the right use of Scripture. Commands. I found a command. Did you find one? Do you remember it? It is also, when he said this, it is also written. And he wrote the word. So he would be saying that to us today, wouldn't he? So it's an indirect command. It's an in-the-back-door command. You ready? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Even though he's saying it was also written, that's still a command that Jesus has for us today. He is teaching us today, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That, to me, is like a command from Jesus teaching us. So I wrote down as its application... Here's what I wrote down. Know the proper use and context of Scripture. That's how I applied this. You may have something entirely different. It's okay. Enjoy. You may have a different subject matter. It's okay. Enjoy. But these, what, these are two things that stand out to me. And I know if I sat down long enough, I could come up with two or three more maybe for each one of those. But that's what hit me. That's what stood out to me as I read it. All right, take the section that has the longest writing, writes through all lines, straight across the page. We can get all these in this one page, by the way, if you follow my instructions. Now, maybe you write, I know a guy that wrote almost an inch thick when he wrote. He would have to have three, four of these sheets to get one chapter done. All right, verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him. Do, do you know that every word is important in the Bible or it wouldn't be in there. But here's an important, important word, the phrase. And serve, say serve, serve him only. Now, you say, well, God, how, how am I most supposed to look at that? That's no, because some, I'm going to hit you hard. I'm going to hit me hard. <laughs> because sometimes we serve ourselves more than we do God. We watch out more for us. I do want to slip that in. So verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So Jesus' third test is what I wrote down. For title, third test. The characters are the same. Christ, Satan, 
angels. And the subject matter I wrote down, again, you may have something entirely different. What I wrote down was Christ being pressured to change his allegiance. Satan knows that Jesus serves God. That's his father. He knows that. Don't forget, he was up in heaven for a long time before he was cast down. He knows that. But Jesus is being pressured to change his allegiance. Look what I'll give you if you just bow down and worship me. Instead of God, your father. There is a command here, I think, again. Worship God and serve him only. While he's telling that to the devil, he's telling that to us. As we read the Bible today, it applies to us. Worship God and serve him only. He's, because did not Jesus say, follow me as I, Peter said, follow me as I follow Christ. And Jesus said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. So to follow him means to make him our allegiance. Therefore, worshiping God and serving him only. It's what he was asking the disciples to do. When he called, that's what he does for us. Here's the application I wrote down. Christ could finish his work because he stood firm. In other words, he succeeded all the tests. He surpassed the temptations. He overcame all the temptations. He overcame all those enticing uh, opportunities. He could finish his work now on earth because he stood firm. Folks, if we'll stand firm, you see how I apply? Apply? I applied what I saw, but now I'm applying it to me today. I too will stand firm if I follow his commands. If I follow his word, I too will stand firm until the end. And does not the Bible actually say the words in the New Testament? Stand firm till the end. It does. It actually says it. All right, verses 12 through 17. This is Jesus begins to preach, all right? When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach Repent. Say repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So you drew that line across the bottom at the top of that right below your line you drew. Right. Verses 12 through 17. I titled it and I'm only rushing through this because of the time. I don't want, you want to get you folks out. Here it is. Jesus fulfills his calling. That's what I wrote. Because he came. And it says, Jesus begins to preach. It was, it was his beginning preaching, but it was also the, the fulfilling of his calling. He, be, he begins to fulfill his total calling for coming. Jesus fulfills his calling, and he starts off with preaching. So you can write down that title. My title, this, uh, what I read to you, Jesus begins to preach, is the title it gives in that chapter, in my Bible. I don't know what 
title had and yours may have had. Mine said Jesus begins to preach. I wrote down Jesus fulfills his calling. The characters in here are who? Christ. John. There's a group of people. People. <laughs> That's right. And then who else is mentioned? Isaiah. It's good to remember what was said there. So what is the subject matter? Well, I wrote down Christ begins his preaching mission based on prophecy from Isaiah. So what Isaiah was prophesying, Jesus was able to pick up and carry on the mission of getting people to hear and open their hearts to the gospel. Jesus begins his preaching mission based on prophecy from Isaiah. Um, was there a command? It's exactly right. Repent. That was a command. That, that, that is a command all through Scripture. Oh my goodness. Old Testament. New Testament. Today. Repent. It's a command. It really is a command. It's an injunction. It's a command. It's a requirement. And Jesus says, repent. Now, I got to tell you, this word repent needs a lot of work today because, folks, we don't understand sometimes or we forget sometimes what repent means. Uh, it means, if I may put it in today's language, it means, check me out, go home, check me out. Okay, talk to your Greek Bibles and stuff. The word means an about face. It, it was about completely turning around, going the other way, folks. And we, we deal with people in Christianism today who are, they're, they're, they're falling into sin, they're having problems. And they feel bad and they're sorry for what they did, but they want to stay in that sin. And they don't want to give up what caused the sin to begin with. They want to be sorry that they did it, but they don't want to be sorry enough to reverse it and go the other way. When Jesus said repent, he meant a total turning around. A complete turning around. And we, we had a couple doctors in our church, back doctors, that uh, we, my wife got a hold of this back doctor. Make a long story short. It's a long story. Make it short. But they finally got saved. And... Uh, Start coming to our church. They're both car, they're our chiropractors, and they got saved. And uh, I did uh, the premarital counseling. My wife did their discipleship growth counseling. She went to their home every week to grow them in the Lord. But they lived together. And I said, Pete, I said, Julie, listen, you're saved now, and you've got to stop having relationships. Even though I know you live together, because they're going to get married, they're going to get married. In fact, me and our children's pastor, we drove to Wisconsin to be in the wedding and to help perform the wedding, because they moved to Wisconsin. And by the way, they're serving the Lord today, turned on to God, loving the Lord in church, love the Lord. And uh, I said, you two have got to stop now and go for a second virginity. I said, you can't be having relationships. Okay. <laughs> they did. As far as we know, because I would check in. Yep, we're doing good. They, they stopped. 
And I, I admired them for that because they had a house together and they had the bills together. And, and you know what? I said, Lord, you're in charge of how to handle that one. I make them separate out and have two different, in, two different places to live. But they abstained because repentance is not just sorry for the moment, but sorry for the endurement, for the long haul of that sin. Total repentance. And everyone said. So application. Application. Our life in Christ begins. Our life in Christ begins when we repent. That's what you may get something so different. It's okay. It's beautiful and applicable for you. Don't let it go. Just because I said it the way I did, don't let yours go. You keep yours. But our life actually, because but here's what hit me with this. Really, it did. Wait a minute. My life begins when I repent. That means on the day I accept you as my Lord and Savior, my life began. My new life began. So every time I repent, I keep my new life going. Amen? Amen. All right, verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers to make you out to catch people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on there from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, so you do a line across the bottom, and there is verses 18 to 22, and it's a very simple title. Jesus calls his disciples. Now, in this case, it's just some of them, but he calls his disciples. He's calling his disciples. Maybe that would have been a better way of putting it, since these weren't all of them, calling his disciples. So he's calling some of his disciples. The characters here were who? Jesus, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, Zebedee, and John was mentioned. So uh, these are the characters that were mentioned in this. It gives you, you can see that not all of them were called, but uh, these are the ones that were called were mentioned. The subject matter is that the disciples immediately leave and follow Christ. That's not an easy thing to do. The disciples immediately leave and follow Christ. Folks, that is not an easy thing to do. I'm going to say it again. The disciples immediately leave and follow Christ. Ah, that's a tough one because sometimes the Lord is tapping on our shoulder. And I, I heard something today in the word from the Lord that he's going to use us. He's ready to use us, et cetera, et cetera. Are we ready? That was a strong word from the Lord today, folks. Are we ready? I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm here today for you. He's telling us what he's going to do through you. Do you hear what he said to you today? What he's going to do through this church? <laughs> I'm so excited for you guys. I can't stand it. Oh, I mean, I've been praying for you. I still pray for you all. I sit in Dallas just praying for you. On the way down, praying for you. I pray for you guys. Because right now, don't take this wrong, but you're, you're my responsibility before the Lord. And I'm praying for you like you're my, my responsibility. By the way, I've just been granted a position in the district. I now will become the general presbyter assistant to Delaware and greater Philadelphia as a appointed care pastor. 
And there's only six of us in the whole district, and I'm going to be one of them to be over Delaware pastors and all the AG pastors in the greater Philadelphia. So I'm looking forward to that. So I, you're my responsibility. You're my responsibility. All right, so they leave. It, 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 folks, let, let's, let's not fight what God's pushing us into because he said, I would, that's why it came today. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, was there a command? Oh, yeah. What was it? Come follow me. Yeah. Come follow me. And here is the application I got. And we only got one more and we'll be done. Here's my application. We should instantly respond when he calls us. We should instantly respond when he calls us. Why not? Because the disciples did. And he says, come follow me. So that means he's already got it lined up. He's already got it planned out. He's already got it lined up. He's already got everything organized. All we have to do is just step out and do it. And he'll do it through us. Lastly, verses 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill and with various diseases, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds came from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, across the Jordan followed him. And I want to say this. If you ever want to do a new chart, you can add another column, and it could be location. Where did all this happen? What geographical locations did it happen? You can actually add that if you want, if you're, if you're interested in the geographical location of that. Or any other column you may want. You can enlarge this if you want. But here we go. That was verses 23 through 25. And it's a real simple title. I'm using the title that, that's right there in the, in the chapter, Jesus Heals the Sick. That's the title of these few verses, Jesus Heals the Sick. And those involved were Jesus and the people. All right, Jesus and the people. And I put down the subject matter. What did you put down the subject matter? Say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, but who's all of it? All the people's hurting? It's the people, right? It's Jesus heals the physical and the spiritual. That's important to see because there were the physical needs, but there was the demonic possessed people's needs. And we don't know what's in the physical. We don't know what might be the emotional needs of people back then. We don't know what it might have been in their financial needs. We don't know some of the things that what all this would imply. But we can imply one thing from it. If Jesus can heal body, soul, and spirit, then he can take care of our finances. That means we can apply the fact that he can heal everything that we have need of. But definitely, here it was physical and spiritual. There were no commands that I saw. But here's what my application was. If Jesus healed in Bible days... It's really simple, isn't it? He can still heal today because he's the same yesterday, 
today and forever. Now I know why the Lord gave me that little word to remind us of today. All righty. You did it. I know I had, you had to do a lot of write, fast writing, but you could go back now. I gave you a second sheet. There's a whole file folder back there. I had 150 of them made up. So you can take some more with you and practice this. Get another chapter out of the Bible and practice this. And uh, if you, again, if you get a chapter, you got some chapter 54 verses long, right? This was 25. Well, that means you just have to take another sheet, right? Continued, and you put down the chapter. Continued, chapter, whatever. And uh, then you just keep going the same process and you keep those two together. Uh, I learned a lot about scripture doing this over the years. So it does bring a lot of wealth of knowledge. And the more knowledge you have, the more is there when you need it. And everyone said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that this church was gracious enough to allow me the opportunity to walk them through this exercise that will can benefit them as often as they want it to. And I'm not taking away anything they do now. They may have a system that works for them that would be better than the one I've given them. That's okay. As long as they got a way to monitor, a way to learn, a way to remember, a way to reflect upon, to go back someday and look at a, a chapter that you're reading to remind yourself, you, they might even get a different application the next time they read the same chapter. They might have a different application because of where they are with you, where they are in their walk with you. So Lord, it's, it's a neat thing to do. It's a fun thing to do. It's a learning thing to do. And you know what's neat, Lord? We're spending time with you. We're in your presence. And we need to spend a lot of time there, Father, in our time in which we live. So God bless this church again. You see what you're doing in this church. You see what you're going to do in this church. We heard some really powerful things today. And your word is powerful. And by the way, Lord, we didn't take that message above the word. We took your message today. We put it under the word and saw that the word of God confirmed everything that was said today. We thank you, Lord. Bless these people. Touch their lives, body, soul, and spirit, all their needs, according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And everyone prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.